Live from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the Campfire Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network.
good Thursday to you, and that is our good friend Stephanie Lane with a song named Hunker Down, and from Nashville, Tennessee, I'm your host, Gary Holt, and as always, my lovely co-host, Miss Bobby Bell in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, Bobby. Hey, good morning, Gary. How are you? I am hunkered down. Like most people, <laughs> like most people are in the country. I thought that was an appropriate song to start things out with. Hunker down. Absolutely. Are, are you enjoying an evening? Uh, what are they calling them now? Quarantinis. <laughs> uh, I am having more than one. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, I, I, it looks like this thing's going to go on for a while. Uh, even if the economy starts to come back, it looks like they'll kind of roll things out. But uh, I listened to the mayor of Nashville this morning, and he said, you know, this this social distancing is probably going to go on for a while, even when we get back to normal. So I guess we have to hunker down. Well, it's a new normal. It is a new normal, <laughs> I'm afraid. But... Today on the show, it is not the new normal. We've got some great guests on the Campfire Cafe. Who's joining us today? Oh, my goodness. And we're social distancing between the four of us. (laughs) Uh, We have Christopher Harris joining us along with his um, partner in Horsefly Music, Steve Thomas. And uh, we are all in different four corners of the of the states, and uh, looking forward to chatting with them. They have they have created a phenomenal music uh, recording label that already has three of their recent releases are on the top ten most western played DJ song list right now. Three, pretty amazing. Oh, wow. That's pretty amazing. And in the second hour of the show on Saddle Up America, we're going to be traveling out to Wyoming where there is an issue with Wyoming's wild horses. And our special guest will be photographer and wild horse advocate, Miss Pat Doak. But right now, let's listen to a great song by Mary Kay. I thought this was appropriate. We need to have a lot of grit and grace right now. And this is her song called Grit, Grace, and Bailing Twine. And when we come back, We're going to be talking with Steve and Chris as we return to the Campfire Cafe. They say that you can't folks, the ones wear boots and the ones don't. I believe, darling, you and me hold steady in the boot category. Goodbye, city life and nine-to-five living. Our corporate meetings are held in our kitchen. You can't beat our sweet retirement plan. Don't get sick and work as long as you can. This is how we hang and rattle. Raise my kids and raise some cattle. Let loose on a Saturday night. Two steps under neon lights. Our life's a good kind of crazy. Keep it together, you and me. Bomb and super glue Give us this crazy 
calls me or it texts me from a uh, was it a deer blind in Montana? See, it sure was. It was Sheridan, Montana, at a friend's ranch out hunting, and uh, it was it was 20 below. It was about to start snowing, and I was standing in this sitting in this deer blind, freezing, and I took my gloves <laughs> off. And I texted Chris because I was hearing these different things while I was sitting up there. I was hearing off in the distance from these cowboys that were bringing their, their cattle in off the off the mountains uh, on the ranch next door. I could hear them yelling off in the distance, Heidi Ho, Heidi Ho. <laughs> and, 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 and I got to typing on the iPhone there. Of course, it didn't really want to work that good in the cold, but it, I got it to go. And uh, uh, I got a hold of Chris. I go, Chris, can you put this in into song? It was more of a poetry deal that I had done. And, right. Uh, uh, and Chris uh, says, Oh yeah, I can do that. And uh, he, he strummed it on a guitar a little bit uh, a couple of days later, and uh, he produced it. And uh, I, I believe that song might have gone all the way to number one as well, Chris, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I was just so blown away by his uh, his interpretation, you know, being out early that morning. And all, all I heard, I, I could totally hear the Cowboys, you know, singing that. And I went, well, this is kind of like a um, a Marty Robbins type of song. And, I mean, I think a month later we were in the studio and had it recorded. And, and then we, uh, a few months later, you know, we, we got uh, Lance Cowan, you know, a good friend of all of ours, to right. promote it to, to Western Radio. And... Uh, Lo and behold, it got up in the top ten, at least at least to number four. But uh, it was uh, just a great, great meeting that that uh, Jan and I had with him. Ten, he and his uh, wife uh, Tricia and their family. It just was so sweet, and we just really loved their family. And what what a what a uh, just that sort of like blessing. A few years later, to get that text from him, I go, man, we could do this a few times. And writing songs, and 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 just having that love, and I just loved Steve's uh, heart and his attitude and uh, his love for the Western way of life, and I saw that in him, um, and I just I think that's what really was more exciting than anything, and then for him allowing me to you know to write and produce songs, it was just a. a uh, just a lovely thing, and now we're—I I don't know—maybe we're into song number fifteen, and maybe about six or seven releases. Wow, wow! Well, you guys—you guys, some way or another, knew that the first song that we had to do today was "Heidi Ho Montana," and this is Woo-hoo. Rodeo and Juliet. This is Chris and his wife Jan. Let's take a listen to that and come back and talk more with Steve and Chris on the Campfire Cafe. All the cowboys have gathered in the dark before dawn Cause the big sky is changing now that summer's long gone And the ruby's red waters are reflecting the sky Because winter is coming tonight And there's a storm on the mountain Full of thunder and snow And the herd has to move To save 
safe pastures below. So at first light, the cowboys are driving them home. And they sing as they move them along. Hidey ho, Montana, beneath the big sky. Your high shining mountains are bright and alive. Hidey ho, Montana, full of garnets and gold. And your son sing a song to your sweet big sky soul. All oh, the winter awakens the call of the wild. The gobblers are gobbling at the geese on the right. All the deer join the dance as the rut has begun. The song of the cowboys, the stars and the sun. While he's riding mighty tall in a life circumstance, he'd rope that old storm if given a chance. And with a nugget of wisdom on his hard cattle drive. Spirit of the cowboy is well and alive. Hidey ho, Montana, beneath the big sky. Your high shining mountains are bright and alive. Hidey ho, Montana, full of garnets and gold. And your son sing a song to your sweet big sky soul. And in a voice deep as God, you can hear the earth sing like a howl from the canyon that will never be tamed. For it's not about the money. Silver or gold, but the secrets of life only heartlands can hold. Hidey ho, Montana, beneath the big sky, your high shining mountains are bright and alive. Hidey ho, Montana. Full of garnets and gold And your son sing a song To your sweet big sky soul Montana by the duo Rodeo and Juliet, and we're speaking with Rodeo today. <laughs> this was the first release of um, Horsefly Music, and before I get into my question for you two gentlemen, first I just want to make a comment about this CD. I remember when this um, single crossed my desk, and it was so unusual because, number one, it was a single, 
And that was very unusual, um, even whenever this was, two two years ago or, or so. And when I put it in my CD player, I was like, oh, my gosh, who are these guys? What is this? Because its sound was um, so different from what, what I was hearing very regularly in Western music. And it did feel like a throwback. It was very lush, and it wasn't really Western. It wasn't really country, although... Uh, I was kind of like, what do we? Where does this fit? And then I thought, you know what? This fits in its own spot, and let's see what they come up with next. And we've oh. been waiting and waiting and waiting, <laughs> oh, and the wait's been worth it. So, <laughs> oh, that's um, sweet. Yeah. So I'm so curious because now we're beginning to see um, new releases very regularly, and um, of course, two of them, and we're going to be playing both of them, but the next one that Gary has queued up is Kristen Harris's Wandering Star. Would you tell us a little bit about how how you've made the relation contacts or relationship with your artist and then maybe how you choose um, how how you collaborate with them to choose choose what you record? Chris, you want well, me to start it. with that one and then I'll you can chime in? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that Steve, Steve turned okay, the song yeah, to so, uh, Kristen. Uh, yeah, so Kristen, uh, I met Kristen in uh, Loomis, California. She was a, a guest uh, artist of a fellow, uh, his wife, uh, uh, Bert and Carol Braun. And they put on a wonderful uh, Western program called the Fall Gathering in Loomis every year. They've done it for many years. And uh, uh uh, Kristen, uh, along with uh, many, many times Dave Stamey is there as well, was there performing. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, she uh, sang a song, one of the ones that uh, actually hit number one, uh, What's a Cowgirl Supposed to Do, that a, a friend of Kristen and I's, Jeff Severson, had written. And uh, uh, and then I, I said, hey, I want to get Chris and Kristen together they came out and uh, uh, played at my middle son's engagement party together, and wow. uh, and then from there, uh, uh, so yeah, so she came from Texas and Chris came from Nashville, and and uh, and they talked about coming out to Nashville and doing some recording, and uh, Chris take it from there. Uh, she's just a wonderful, wonderful, hardworking young lady, mm -hmm. and we wish her all the best, and we're yeah. we're glad to support. Her. Yeah, she just blew us away. I mean, just the energy, and then she just gets, she's just a get her done girl, and uh, mm -hmm. just love her. And and uh, and me being from uh, Dallas, I love. She and I had a little bit uh, Dallas Fort Worth area that we had a lot to talk about. But I always wanted to do uh, Wandering Star, which came from Paint Your Wagon. Yeah, you like? yeah. And yeah. of course. And who who doesn't love the Lee Marvin? Who doesn't love the Lee Marvin? <laughs> And uh, but I go, oh, what if uh, what if Kristen sang this? And I think my a, a lot of these songs that we're producing, I just I just see them uh, in in a, in songs and movies. And I think that that big uh -huh. wide painting on a big wide canvas has to do with you know I would love for these songs to end up in in uh, some films. And so she she was game and. Uh, she just took it to heart, and I wanted to build this up like the original uh, 
uh, you know, sound of the record and make it a big uh, movie type thing for her. And she, we had so much stinking fun uh, and uh, she was game. So that's how the song came to be as far as choosing the song. And uh, again, I just uh, am so grateful. Steve probably was going like, what are you doing? What are you thinking about? Um, But I really just appreciate his, his, uh, his uh, faith and trust and letting me, uh, Get get crazy here, and you know, with, and do this big song that uh, was written in 1948, I think. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think it's um, if I can before Gary plays it, if I can just make another comment because I think this yeah. su- such a compelling song, and all of us that know and love Kristen know she is on the road all the time, and she loves coming home, but she is kind of born under a wandering star. <laughs> she is. Um, she is. And I think we all know uh, it's so popularly recorded called the Win, you know, called the Wind Mariah, um, right. which is from that show. And I, when you, when I heard Kristen do this, my other, you know, as this came across my desk, my thought was like, why aren't we exploring the music of musicals? Why aren't we looking mm-hmm. at more mm-hmm. out of Paint Your Wagon or? Uh, the Annie Oakley, um, the wonderful yeah. Annie Oakley uh, Broadway show, and that went on. You know, I mean, there's such richness in some of these songs, and I think I'm I'm excited that you are um, com- pushing out the the genre, and I think it also enables our artists to kind of flex their muscles and. And maybe yeah. be looking at material that they wouldn't. They maybe have been singing at home and in the shower for years and years and years, you know. But now, feel <laughs> right. right. you know, they can, know. you know, they can perform it. So I'm, I'm excited about your choices. Uh, I well, think they're. You. I think we need it in the genre um, because they are also familiar to our audiences, but not overheard. Yeah. You, well, I love. You know. Remember when? Remember when Silverado came out? Yeah. Uh-huh. One of my oh favorites. Oh my gosh! The soundtrack to that is just. I mean, I think a lot of my love for for uh, the West, definitely from uh, Ennio uh, Morricone, from the you know all the old sp- spaghetti westerns sure. and the Clint Eastwood mm-hmm. movies. But you know, our hopes are that the westerns will keep being made, and so Silverado, I think, really got me jazzed about even trying to work and investigate a little bit more of doing music for movies. And then I got to be a part of the Warner Western label in its inception with singing on Michael Murphy uh, on his records and being a part of that label with uh, Jim Ed Norman and saw what they were doing and, um, and really appreciated how they were pushing things forward and, and, and really uh, addressing and singing songs. And that's when, of course, Murphy went, you know, way into, uh, his mm-hmm. love for uh, his love for the uh, for the West and uh, telling stories, which what an unbelievable storyteller he is. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's take a listen to Wandering Star and then come back and talk more with Steve and with Chris today on the Campfire Cafe.
the ninth floor of the Omni in downtown Fort Worth with one microphone and wow. and, and, sit, and record him. We recorded 16 songs and so anyway, that's the that's the a little bit of the story on the Murphy thing with that we're so excited about and and uh it's called Austinology. Austinology and I actually got to see the performance at the Franklin Theater. Uh, oh, which was a which was a cool deal, which was a cool deal. Yeah. But talking about Michael Martin Murphy, his son is a super talented producer and writer and performer. And uh, mm-hmm. how did Diego and the Broken Spur come about? Boy, Steve, well, I love. Yeah, Steve, Steve hits me up with this great idea. <laughs> Yeah. Go ahead, Steve. Tell the story. On oh, I'm just uh, I'm just thinking about that. Uh, I can remember a, a call from Jim Weber, and he goes, "What's the next song you can do?" I said, "Well, I think it's a song about a broken spur." And he goes, "A broken <laughs> spur." <laughs> yeah. He goes, "Okay," and uh, uh, and we we had a lot of fun with it, and and uh, uh, you know it's it's set off in the mountains of Mexico and. And, and Diego and, and Chris uh, 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 enlisted the help of Ryan Murphy to to get involved with the project and uh, it's a fun it's a fun uh, it's a fun song and uh, it's kind of a story and you know legacy and history and and uh, uh, I uh, have a fellow that works with me his name's Juan Talento and he's a heck of a horseman and uh, I said I said Juan I would have named I would have named him. Uh, the the star in the song won, but I just thought Diego had a better ring to it. And, uh, <laughs> but we had a lot of fun with it. Chris did a wonderful job. Yeah, well, this is a fantastic song. Ryan does a great job on it. It's Diego and the Broken Spur. You're listening to the Campfire Cafe. There's a legend they tell in the mountains called Sierra Madre Where vaqueros still drive hungry herds the valleys below Once they saw a wild mustang so beautiful down in a canyon So they looked to the leader among the brave Now Diego was tough, he was chiseled, leather and handsome And he rode like the wind and could break any horse on the range When he saw the wild mustang and spurred his horse down to the canyon All the cowboys knew they'd Diego a hero again on the aging vaqueros in Mexico tell of a Mustang Who couldn't be broken by any man living on earth There's a trail of cowboys he beat buried deep in the desert And the tale of the one who left home no broken spur 
Now the canyons are dangerous even for well-seasoned cowboys. And the Mustang knew all of the secrets wild horses can know. The vaqueros who followed him couldn't have cornered the Mustang. Without the wisdom and horsemanship of Diego With his lasso in hand and the Mustang backed into a corner Diego threw straight for the head and then pulled the rope tight But the Mustang was strong and Diego was torn from the saddle and dragged through the dust from the canyon and then out of sight All the aging vaqueros in Mexico tell of a Mustang Who couldn't be broken by any man living on There's a trail of cowboys he beat buried deep in the desert and the tale of the one who left home with no broken spurs. Through the rocks and the poisonous chola, Diego was broken. But he dug in his heels till his spur broke and he came to rest. Then he jumped on the Mustang and held through the bucking and bite. Neither Mustang or man would give in this fight to the dead. The Vaquero searched canyon and mountain for Mustang and rider. All the footprints led deep in the desert and faded away. But they found that old spur and a few drops of blood in the canyon. Where the Mustang and Rider are out there, no one can say. All the aging vaqueros in Mexico tell of a Mustang. Who couldn't be broken by any man living on earth. There's a trail of cowboys he's buried deep in the desert. And the tale of the one who left home No broken spurs And the tale of the one who left home No broken spurs Diego and the Broken Spur, currently sitting at number seven, I believe, on the ten most played uh, charts by the IWMA. Um, gentlemen, uh, what's the goal here? Are we going to see a CD with all of these songs and maybe some more added? Or 
are we just going to get a new one every month? What's the plan? <laughs> What's the plan, man? <laughs> well, well, we'll definitely want to put a, a a total project together. I think you know it's the it's the love for the West. It's the it's the uh, I, in, in the big picture, you just you'd love to be able to have a uh, something that feels like when you're listening to the project. You know, it it feels kind of like going back to that, like an old musical. You know, and uh, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I I think just as far as these original songs, that really you know Steve's just feeding us these great ideas for songs, and we're so <laughs> I mean, we're just so fortunate you know to be here in Nashville and and to be able to be with you know great songwriters that really help us sew it up on the back end, and then to be able to. Um, have these, you know, access to all these these guys that you're hearing on these records, the, on the musicians. Mm-hmm. I mean, even on Diego, I think we used um, another guy that we're that I've been writing with is Gordon Kennedy, and so his dad is Jerry Kennedy, and so we we're able to use the guitars that we used on the Marty Robbins and the Roger Miller records that his dad produced. Um, That's how crazy um, it is. Wow. You know, and then Paul Overstreet. Uh, Paul Overstreet's the uh-huh. one I wrote rodeo, rodeo and a song called Rodeo and Juliet, twenty um, something years ago, and so just writing with getting some great songwriters to be with, and but uh, again it goes back to I just love um, this whole thing would not have happened without just Steve uh, coming really his love for the West, and I can see the last ten years of his ten twelve years, and he could talk more about that as far as his love for the West just inspired me so much i grew up in el paso and lubbock and middle i was born in midland and uh went to high school in dallas and went to college at abilene and um i'm i'm a city slicker but uh i I, you know i just i love and i got to play cowboys down at happy shahan's ranch where the al you know where the alamo was shot with john wayne back in 1976 so i got to play cowboy for a summer you know so I rode horses and whatever, you know, that's where it began for me back in the summer of 76, but just love that Steve's uh, heart and, and love for the West has just been such an inspiration to me. So appreciate him. Well, you guys make a pretty good team, I'm going to say. And, uh, and you're bringing us some great music to listen to. So thank you for that. But uh, I want to get to another great song. We're starting to get close on our time, and uh, and I got much more music. So let's go ahead and listen to one called Packing Out of Texas. This is Woo-hoo. Jeff Severson, and we'll be back in just a minute. I got to make tracks, because it's on my back. I love this wife, now he wants my life. Out of Texas With the only horse that I own I'm riding hard and fast Cause I gotta make old Mexico But I gotta make tracks Cause it's on my back 
Super Bowl player, uh, and uh, he was a, a free safety and uh, started out out of Long Beach State. He still lives in Long Beach, and he's a campmate of mine in uh, the uh, Los Chincadores, uh, Rancheros Visadores. And I always get to enjoy uh, Jeff's original music. And uh, uh, Packinatic, Texas is uh, one of the songs that he wrote and performed. And then he also wrote uh, the song that Kristen Harris uh, saying, uh, what's a cow uh, girl supposed to do? And yeah. uh, it, it actually started out as what's a cowboy supposed to do. But we, when Kristen performed it at the fall gathering, uh, she said, well, it's not going to work. What's a cowboy supposed to do? Let's change it. What's a cowgirl supposed to do? And <laughs> she did just such a beautiful job with it. But Jeff's a dear friend of mine and uh, uh, just a, a very talented guy. And uh, Chris and, and Jan and, and Jeff, 
and Lori all got together back in Nashville and and worked on some of these songs together and and uh, uh, just did a, a wonderful job. Wonderful job. Wow. Well, it's a cool song, and uh, and again, he was a new artist for me, so glad you did that. I'm glad you did. Yeah, but, uh, uh, anyway, Rodeo and Juliet. How did you come up with that name, Chris? Well, I got, I got together with Paul Overstreet a little, little over 20 years ago and said, I want to write a song for for um, uh, Roy Orbison, but Roy was dead, so that wasn't going to work. You know, that wouldn't no, work. No, it wouldn't work. So I said, well, let's do one for the Mavericks. So we, I wanted to write a song called Rodeo and Juliet. So when, when Jan and I got uh you know, we've been married for 40 years. I said 10 years ago, I go, hey, I'll be Rodeo and you be Juliet. Let's just uh, go out and encourage people to hang in through the good, the bad, and the ugly. And um, and so uh, that song uh, really was the inspiration for us uh, going out these last 10 years and singing for people. And, you know, uh, um, Paul... You know, I don't know if a lot of people don't know all, all the songs that Paul wrote, but, you know, he did all those Randy Travis songs, you know, those early songs, Digging yeah. Up Bones and and, uh, and um, uh, On the Other Hand. And, of course, he wrote She Thinks My Tractor's Sexy, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but Paul is, just, Paul is just awesome. And so I just said, let's go out and uh, that's where the song came from as far as the idea. So. Well, that's pretty cool, and I think that's a pretty good. Uh, I think that's a pretty good name for you guys. You've got well, another song that you've done called "When I Look at You." How did yeah. this come to be? Well, there's a guy named Phil Madeira, and he is in Emmy Lou Harris's Red Dirt Band. And Phil has been here in town for about 40 years, and uh, I got together with him. I said, I want to write a song about the first time I saw Jan which was in Abilene, Texas, and she was engaged to another guy, but they didn't get married, and the rest (laughs) is history. (laughs) So so she's she's from upstate New York, and I'm from west Texas, and that's about as of a mixed marriage as you can get, so. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Well, this is a great song. It's When I Look at You, and let's take a listen to that and come back in just a minute. Move. When 
Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. When we're back, we'll be talking with our very special guest today, Miss Pat Doak, on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. Hi, everybody. This is Terry Brown. It's time to saddle up America and ride cowboy ride with my pals Gary Holt and Bobby Jean Bell. Get your gear together, can you hear that prairie song? The winds of change are whispering, it's time to move along. That pony in the pasture's growing lazy and fat. There's something out there calling you, you just don't know where it's at. You've got a rambling, restless bone inside, so ride, cowboy, ride. Throw your saddle over, son, and draw the cinch up tight. Fill up those saddlebags with rub and ride into the night. There's trails that you ain't ridden yet and places you ain't seen. There's beauty over yonder like most men can only dream. If you don't find it, it won't be because you ain't tried. Ride, cowboy, ride. Ride over. Ride 
nothing but your shadow at your side. Ride, cowboy, ride. Phenomenal photographer and a wild horse advocate uh, from Rock Springs, Wyoming. And they've got some issues that are going on out there with the wild horses. We're going to talk all about that next on Saddle Up America. But right now, let's welcome Pat to the show. Hey, Pat. Hey, Gary. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Well, howdy, howdy. Hello. <laughs> there are some interesting things going on yes, out in are. Wyoming with the wild horses. And why don't you tell us what's happening? Tell us a little bit about the history of the horses and a little bit about what's going on out there. Well, right now we're in the final days of um, public comment for um, the Bureau of Land Management, the High Desert District. And this is for public comment on their draft resource management plan. And this is a plan that they present um, for roundups and management of the wild horses and the, the HMAs. And what a HMA is, is a horse management area. And okay. we have, um, we have five areas it's uh, White Mountain HMA, Divide Basin HMA, Salt Wells HMA, and Adobe Town, so four. Um, 
So um, this goes over the plans. There's four plans included with this. And I would like to have listeners write a letter and offer some solutions. All right. Well, what are what are some of the proposals? I know I think there are four different proposals right yes, now. Yes, there are. But what I'd like to do is go over the history of the horses and the history of the checkerboard because a lot of the proposals – um, they talk about the checkerboards, and listeners don't really know what the checkerboard is. Yeah. And so that will give you a better idea. Yeah, yeah. I, I have no idea. I thought that was something that you played, but that's not what this is. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, we're in southwest Wyoming and um, Sweetwater County, and this, this is where this is all taking place. And it's considered high desert. We have an average rainfall of 7 to 10 inches. And our elevation is 6,000 to 8,500 feet. Um, It's semi-arid. So the land differs here. It's a lot drier than what, you know, back east. So um, usually um, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of open land when people come out here to, to look at the land and everything. I mean, you see miles and miles of open land, but there's very little grass. So um, it's, it, it's dry. So Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I think one of the interesting things when I talk to people out in the West is, is the fact that uh, if you're back here in the East – We've got plenty of grass. We have plenty of rain. Lord, we have plenty of rain. We've sure had it the last month or two. But uh, when you get out into the west, some of these areas that you're talking about, it takes 60 to 80 acres to support one cow. Yeah, 28 to 37 acres per bred cow. So when you add horses onto that, um, a horse will take up more acreage per cow. So, um, it, you know, when, when you're looking at 2.8 million acres that's considered in all of this, you know, that's a lot of acres. It's a lot of miles. It's, it's about the same size as Connecticut. Wow. And, um, yes. So, but it, it takes a lot of acres per, per animal. So, but the history, um, we do have a unique history with these horses, Um, There was evidence of prehistoric horses until 10,000 B.C., and there was an archaeological dig um, south of Green River, and there was horse bones in this archaeological dig, along with camel bones, and then they disappeared, and then the horses were reintroduced. Um, Also, those prehistoric horses were very small. They were like the same size as a German shepherd. Right. Right. Did you say camel um, so, bones? Camel bones? Yeah, there was camel bones and everything. This um, this area used to be a big lake, Lake Goshoot, and it was kind of a semi-tropical lake, and there was all kinds of animals. So um, horses, camels, there was like musk ox. Um, some of this goes back millions of years. Wow. But this was... A big lake. So, 
horses were introduced by the Spanish in the late 1500s. And um, there was the Escalante Dominguez trails. And that was south of Wyoming where, where all that went on. But still, the Spanish traded horses with the Utes and the Comanches prior to 1620. And they became very skilled with horses very fast in hunting and warfare. So then in the late 1700s, early 1800s, the horse raids were documented in northwest Colorado, uh, northern Utah, and um, Wyoming. And it was against the enemies, the northern and eastern Shoshone. And there was large herds of horses stolen, and the Utes would go back down south with these big herds of horses. And it was fast and furious, so horses were lost along the way. Right. So then we had the migration of, you know, European people across um, with the Oregon, California, Mormon Trail, the Overland Trail, Cherokee Trail, and all three of these trails are in Sweet, Sweetwater County. And this was prior to the railroad and from 1847 to, to uh, the late 1860s after the railroad was put in. So there was a lot of drafts and saddle horses and a lot, you know, along the way, a lot of them got lost or let go, you know, if they just couldn't make it. Um, So then after that, we had ranchers and the ranchers are the ones that provided a lot of blood, good blood with these horses. They're, they're very good horses. Um, And they started using different breeds, standard bred, Rocky Mountain pleasure horse, Morgan, um, Hackney Pony, Pertron, Belgians, Calvary Mounts, and um, some of the DNA shows up with um, Belle Francaise and then the Curly Horse. Wow. And we have a herd of uh, Curly Horses south of Rock Springs in a part of, an isolated part of Salt Wells. And that's what I'm going to be touching on mostly with, with this show. So the Curleys were introduced by a local rancher in 1942, and he bought, it was a black stallion, and he purchased, purchased him in Laramie, Wyoming, and so he was named the Laramie Stud, and he bought him off a horse trader that was from Nevada, and there was an established herd of Curly horses in Nevada. Um, so we think that... Um, these curlies that are in this area are related to the Nevada horses. Wow. Um, yep. So we have bigger horses. The horses are bigger. They range anywhere from 14.2 to 16 hands. They're stocky because of the draft. They have a calm disposition, and they are sought after by doctors and trainers. They're very trainable, and they are sought after. So with you know this new proposal where they want to remove 74% of the horses that's going to take a big bite out of these herds. Wow, wow. Now wow. so so these horses are are you know they're not naturally wild. They're not like the deer and the elk and and everything else. They are actually feral horses that yeah. uh, uh were were released or lost or stolen. And uh, and have developed 
what we call the wild horses or the Mustangs of America right now. And yes. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, One, you know, over the years, their numbers increased and, you know, it's and it's gotten to be where there's too many. <clears throat> well, and, and hence the problem. Hence the problem. Yeah. yeah. So right now. There are approximately how many horses, wild horses ranging across, I think it's 10 states in the United States yes. right now. There's, what are we looking uh, at as approximately, approximately 88,000 horses in 10 western states. Um, so we have 50,000 horses um, in off-range holding right now um, and 12,100 in corrals and 36,000 in uh, long-term pastures. And the long-term pastures are pretty interesting because – the horses, uh, these are ranchers, and it's usually in Kansas and Oklahoma, um, Nebraska, the Plains states, and the BLM um, will have an agreement with the ranchers out there to pasture the horses for long-term pastures. So they're paid a certain amount of, of money per head. So um, that's where a lot of our horses go. If Bobby, did you do that? Did you did you do the math when she was telling how many wild horses were? <laughs> well, <laughs> this poor old brain can't do math much. If it can go over my fingers and toes, but it's a it's a lot. That certainly is a lot of horses. I I have a question that really is kind of a I don't know, Pat. If it's sort of a silly question, but as I was sort of looking around a little bit at some of the articles and all, it appears that. If these horses are a lot of people come to the area to see and to view the horses that it's also uh, where you are at least um, I don't want to say a tourist attraction that doesn't really sound very um, it's not really what I'm trying to say but but there are a lot of folks that love to come and see them photograph them um, is you know removing them what would that have, what kind of effect might that have other kinds of consequences have in the area if there if if that would impact that kind of visitation that will impact us greatly with our tourism industry and our revenues um, there's a lot of people that do come here just for the wild horses the BLM already has a wild horse loop with um, signs that explain everything and signs along the way, you know, to, to view the wild horses on White Mountain. And there was a lot of time, effort, and money put into that. And now, you know, with, with some of these options on this RMP, they, um, they'll all be taken away. So it's all basically for nothing. And plus, it does impact our tourism. We have the National High School Final Rodeo here. And a lot of those folks are up on top of the mountain looking for wild horses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, the, wild, the wild horse situation has been uh, a, a controversial thing for a number of years. I think in 1971 when they had the uh, wild horse and, or free roaming wild horse and burrow act um, yeah. was passed 
I, I checked today because I wasn't sure, but at that time, there were only something over 25,000 horses that were on the range then. And yeah. uh, and today, there are well over 150,000 horses uh, yeah. either in holding or, or on the range right now. So, so the problem uh, comes in with uh, the, with the controversy. BLM is is charged with managing the wild horse herds. Uh, the problem comes in where? Well, it it comes on with um, the checkerboard. And I'll give you a little bit of a history on the checkerboard to explain it a little bit better because people don't understand it. And in 1862, when UP Railroad was putting their you know, rail lines through Wyoming, um, they purchased every other section of land 20 miles each side of the railroad line. And um, so it was a strip that was approximately 700 miles long and then 40 miles wide. So it was a lot of land. And what they did that for was to sell off some of that land so they could fund their railroad. And some of it was sold off, you know, privately, you know, for deeded land and everything. So every other section was UP Railroad and then government. And um, that was done under the Union Pacific Act. And that, you know, that's how it all started. So then in 1907, Rock Springs Grazing was formed, and they leased UP-owned land in this checkerboard, and the other part was government. Okay. So, um, and they formed this. It was due to overgrazing, and these uh, ranchers saw that the land was being overgrazed, and especially with sheep, and it was grazed down to nothing. So they formed the Rock Springs Grazing Association. Um, In 1946, the BLM was established, and they managed public lands, but not the horses, not until 1971 with the Free Roaming Wild Horse and Burrow Act. Okay. And, um, and then since then, um, instead of UP Railroad land, in 2000, Anadarko merged with UP Railroad with the checkerboard strip. And um, so... Rock Springs Grazing leases the land owned by Anadarko, which just sold out to um, Occidental Petroleum in 2019. Okay. And and right now we're in the middle of the state. Um, it's in legislature right now um, as a project for the state to purchase this land. But, you know, we're too far ahead of ourselves right now to, to really discuss that because – there's not much, you know, I've seen one or two articles and that's it. So that's kind of in the works. So, um, so in, since 1971, there's been several lawsuits that from Rock Springs Grazing Association um, that the horses on this checkerboard, they're leasing a section of land, you know, which is 640 acres. It's one square mile. Right. And, um, and it's, you know, 20 miles on either, you know, 20 miles to the north and 20 miles to the south of the railroad. And these horses 
they don't know the difference of, of boundaries. So they're going from, you know, they're free roaming and, you know, they're going on to, you know, the checkerboard, the Rock Springs portion, Rock Springs Grazing Association portion of the land. Right. More, more or less so, private land. So you've got, yeah. you've got 640 acres in a section and you've got these sections that, that yeah. some is government land and some is basically yeah. private owned land right now. Yeah, so it's BLM and the um, Occidental land is what it is. So okay. it's you know, and it's checkerboard all across you know our county, you know, basically the whole county. So um, when they passed that 1971 um, Free Roaming Wild Horse and Burrow Act, um, the horses were protected. Back in the old days, the ranchers were the ones that managed the horses. And they did a good job of managing the horses. They used good stallions, uh, kept the, you know, they'd have their roundups and everything that they did via horseback. Um, some of it they did um, later on, you know, in the late 60s and everything, they used airplanes and helicopters back then. But, right. um, you know, they, they let go of the good brood mares. They rotated the stallions. And, and these are nice herds. They really are. And they did a good job. And then they'd have the roundup. They'd keep, you know, the good horses for themselves as far as saddle horses and stuff for the, the ranches and stuff. Um, they'd sell some, you know, for bucking stock or they'd sell um, or they'd be loaded up on trains and shipped back east to slaughter. And this was back in the slaughter days. But they did manage those numbers. Um, so... Right now, you know, it's, it's where the horses are, you know, there's too many of them. So when, the, when Rock Springs Grazing, you know, files a lawsuit, then the BLM reacts by coming up with an RMP and an environmental study. And then um, it's open for public comment. And then we have, you know, um, advocacy groups and everything that are very powerful and they will counter sue against the RMP. So it's a big, it takes time with all of these lawsuits and everything. It does take time. And in the meantime, the horses are reproducing and, and their numbers increase. Yeah. Now let me, let me mention this. Um, I think BLM has established what are called AMLs. Is that correct? Those are, those are, yeah. Uh, horse numbers that yes. should be appropriate for the horse management areas. And yes. right now, those numbers have gotten way out of control. So there are way wow. more horses uh, on these uh, HMAs than actually were supposed to be there. Yes. So that's so when, um, AML. So on our acronyms, so RMP is the Resource Management Plan. Okay. Um, EIS is a, the Environmental Impact Study, and that's where they look at the impact of the range. And all of this goes back to the range. It is range health. And the ranchers have to, you know, when they have grazing permits, you know, on BLM land, they can only put a certain number of, of cattle or sheep on that land. And, you know, you have to preserve the range. And with the right. horses, when they're increasing in number, there's too many horses on that range, you know, to, 
to sustain the horses and cattle. So um, and and other wildlife because the balance yeah. has to be there between other wildlife, uh, yeah. uh, like the deer and the elk and the grouse and you know everything else. So they're sharing they're sharing ranges between ranchers who have been ranching yeah. for generations. Uh, yeah. And leasing this land, they actually owned a lot of land before, but they started leasing land. And so uh, you have ranchers that make their livelihood from that. You have the wild horses that are sharing part of the land, and then you have the other wildlife, and it all has to balance, doesn't it? Yes. And when there's too many horses, they need to be gathered or other forms of controlling their population. So the EIS is the Environmental Impact Study. Um, AML means appropriate management levels. And um, the appropriate management level, so this, this all involves two, uh, 2,811,401 acres of checkerboard public and private lands. So, wow. Uh, to give you an idea, Salt Wells HMA, or Horse Management Area, um, is 72% checkerboard and 28% public lands. And that's, the public lands are south of the checkerboard. Um, it's 1,173,000 acres and 724,000 acres of public the wow. AML or the appropriate management level is 251 to 365 horses. And um, what do we have what, now? Uh, I don't know what the counts are. I looked at them, but I would say double the amount. Our last gather was in 2017. Um, but the, the AML is over what, you know, what it's supposed to be. Right. Um, White Mountain HMA, 70% checkerboard, 30% BLM, 393,000 acres. Uh, 240 are BLM lands. The AML up there is um, 205 to 300 horses. Divide Basin, um, Divide Basin is pretty interesting because during 2017, um, there was a big storm that came through, so um, one of the areas that they wanted to gather um, ended up not being gathered. So their their numbers, I know their AML numbers are a lot higher than, than the rest of the HMAs. Um, so they're 50-50 as, as far as checkerboard and BLM land. It's 779,000 acres. Um, the AML is 415 to 600 horses. And I well, know they're probably about, you know, I don't know the exact numbers on them, so I don't want to give numbers. But and all of these AMLs are, are over. Adobe Town, 10% checkerboard. Um, and then that's 478,000 acres. The AML on that is 610 to 800 horses. So for the total of all of these um, HMAs for a for AML appropriate management levels, it's fourteen eighty one to two thousand sixty five horses, and you can probably double that for now. Wow! So there's probably double the amount of horses because the amount of horses that they want to gather is around two thousand horses. Okay. Okay. 
All right, so that's that's one of the proposals that they yeah. have. So, to, so no, yeah. the yeah, so the resource management plan has alternatives, and they're called plans. And there's Plan A, Plan B, Plan C, and Plan D on what they want to do because the numbers are, you know, they need to do a gather or manage these lands. Um, so plan A, um, and, and all of this, we're going to remove up to 74, 74% of the herds. So plan A is no action to leave it as it is, leave the acreage and everything the same in the HMAs, um, and this includes uh, Adobe Town, Great Divide Basin, Salt Wells, and White Mountain. Um, fencing would only be constructed when multiple values would be enhanced and to minimize wild horse movement. So in some of these places, fencing's not going to work, and especially up in um, Divide Basin because there's the deer migration up there, and they won't put fences up there to, you know, to jeopardize the deer migration. So you're, you're looking at game and fish is along in this too, you know, because we're, right. we're looking at wildlife as well. Um, fertility control only when necessary. Um, erect interpretive signs um, for access to the herd areas, which we do on White Mountain has the interpretive signs. Um, keep the AML, the total AML to 1481 to 2065 horses. Um, so they, the BLM wants questions and they want questions that make sense and questions that, um, would help with this dilemma. So my question for this would be, can this plan be implemented with more assertive birth control? So, um, PZP and the PZP 22, PZP only lasts a year. PZP 22 lasts through two cycles, so 22 months. Um, Gonicon, which lasts up to four years. Mare spaying, um, and I know that's a big no-no for some people and they get kind of bent out of shape over it, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, need to look at, we need to look at controlling the population, and that's, you know, it, that's, that's what it all is. So, so mare spaying... Um, there's also um, new studies on gluing the uh, fallopian tubes. Um, this can be done with local anesthesia through the flank or a vaginal approach. And then stallion gelding, you know, has there, there hasn't been any studies really on horses that are released back out onto the range um, who have been spayed or, um, or gelded. So, you know, I, I think we need to give studies a chance on this. Yeah. So, and and with um, and I'll give you the website as soon as I get done explaining all of this because they have maps and everything, and it explains it more in depth. So, um, I'll give you the 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 web address for this so you can look at it. And there's also a little space for the comments, and that's where you would write your letters. So, Plan B is to maintain the same number of horses which would be the AML of 1481 to 2065 horses, and decrease the size of the horse management areas to exclude most of the checkerboard lands. So they don't want any horses on the checkerboard lands, which 
with the amendment made to the Free Roaming Wild Horse and Burrow Act in 1971, the Rock Springs Grazing Association had that, and those areas were zeroed out, but horses have wandered back in. And they also wander on private land. They break down fences. They get into their horses and livestock. They attack herders. I mean, there's, you know, it's, it's a problem. And when you're trying to make your living out on the range, you know, out on these ranches, I mean, they're living off the grid and everything else. It's a tough life, and it's 24-7. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, so on Plan B, maintain the same number of horses for the AMLs. Um, the checkerboard lands will be herd areas. So that would be livestock areas. Um and then the grazing permits would be reduced within the four HMAs by a total of 8,100 animal unit months. All wild herds would be managed as non-producing, so using gelding, spaying, um, other mechanical and surgical chemical means, and um, possible management of White Mountain HMA as non-producing. So we'd be keeping horses there, but we, but they would be using birth control and spaying. So my question on this one is fencing. Um, Saltwell's HMA is a huge, huge HMA. And um, it Highway 430 south of Rock Springs goes through um, the middle of it. Um, the eastern side is Saltwell's and Adobe Town. And those horses don't see very many people. So that area is going to be more difficult to manage. Right. I think the way if they were going to manage, manage with birth control, they're going to be um, having to round them up, then give the birth control after they're rounded up, and then let them go. Um, so it, it's going to be tougher on that side. On the west side of 430, there's a little area that's off to itself, and it's still salt wells, and that's where the curly horses are. And it's a smaller area. There is fencing in place. So my question would be to fence off that southern border of the checkerboard and private land, fence that border off from Highway 191, which is west, to Highway 430, which is on the eastern part of it. And I kind of measured it as the crow flies. It's approximately 20 miles of fencing. And That's a lot of fencing. Horses, yeah, and keep those horses in that area. Use birth control. You know, uh, birth control on the older mares. I mean, these mares, they put out, you know, a foal every single year. And so, and they're broken down by these stallions. Um, they have all kinds of leg problems and everything, and they're thin and and, you know, you just don't know if they're going to make it through the winter. So, you know, Zach, you know, give the older mares the birth control, keep the younger horses, more adoptable horses, um, and then, you know, let the herd kind of manage itself and then have um, volunteer darting programs that collaborate with the BLM, with Rock Springs Grazing, with the more powerful advocacy groups. To keep those numbers down. Yeah, um, yeah. It's kind C. of good to mention. It's kind of good to mention too that the fact that uh, uh, 
that uh, these these horses reproduce so that in about four years they actually are doubling in numbers. Yeah. And so something needs to be done to keep that from happening because if there are over 150,000 horses right now, you could have 300,000 horses. That's a lot yeah. of horses. Um, yeah. So something needs to be done. Something needs to be yeah. done. Everybody has a differing opinion on this, you know, one opinion is to gather them all, you know, zero them out. Another opinion, they don't like birth control, and they think it's, you know, it, it's it's horrible and it's abusive to the horse. I mean, there's, you know, and then there's other people that say, hey, let's do use, you know, a combination of both where you're gathering the horses to AML and plus using um, birth control. So, right. So One of the problems... One of the problems we haven't talked about, Pat, uh, is that with with the number of horses that are out there right now, yeah, and with even if it's two million acres of land, which is an awful lot of land, but even with two million acres of land, with the type of grazing that you have, and then having to share land uh, with the other wildlife and with with the cattle grazing. Um, the 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 plan is to try to gather these horses or to stop the growth but then to find homes for these horses because they make great horses when they're adopted yeah. and yeah. and there there are adoptions that are going on all across the country um just constantly people are looking yeah. for these horses and there's some of these horses as you mentioned that are just they're they're in demand People want these yeah, kind they of horses. Are. And especially from this area. They they do. And that's where um, the adoption programs come in. You know, BLM has an adoption program. They have that incentive to where um, they pay $500 when you adopt the horse, and then you get the other 500 after the horse is titled after a year. Um, right. Adopters still have to follow protocols. Um, that the BLM, you know, states they need higher fences and everything to keep the horses from jumping out and everything. And the BLM can come in and check on those horses. Um, there's trainer incentive programs, and this is with Mustang Heritage Foundation, which uh -huh. is um, they put on the extreme Mustang makeovers, and they have the trainer incentive programs, and they adopt out a lot of horses. And it's a good program if you want horses that are trained. If you don't know how to train a horse, you you know, or if you want a, a green broke horse, you know, that the trainer incentive program, they have 90 days to train a horse to lead, to pick up their feet and load in a trailer. And they have to have that horse adopted by um, 120 days. But you still have a start on that horse. Um, the Extreme Mustang Makeovers, they have everything from youth programs, you know, the youth competition um, with the yearlings, and then they have the adult competition where um, you have the trained horses and they're auctioned off, and they are very well trained. These guys, the tip trainers and the Extreme Mustang Makeover trainers, they are working in the, the trenches. The veteran programs. Um, they help fund veteran programs as well, and they really, I mean, 
they really work hard to to adopt a horse, you know, to adopt horses. Right, right. Well, one of the yeah. things that I want to mention right now is is that uh, we have an overabundance of these mustangs uh, throughout the Southwest right now. Uh, yeah. We have to be sensitive to the fact that that ranchers make their living, and as I mentioned earlier, for generations they have been on this land and they have raised and, and made their income from that. So there has to be a balance. You have to, you have to control the, the birth rate of these horses. You have to find homes for the overabundance that we have. And and you have to be sensitive to the ranchers that are making their living off the yeah. land and, and help feed America. I mean, they help feed America. Yeah. And I think that's very it's, important. It's population. It boils down to population control is what it, you know, what it does. Um, but there's two more plans on these, and these are the ones that are kind of zero, zeroing out the herds. Plan C, remove all the wild horses, um, and except for Adobe Town, and that would be to manage 450 horses or less. Wow. Yes. Plan D, and this is the preferred plan. Um, all checkerboard land will be removed from the HMAs and revert to HA status and managed for zero wild horses. Boundaries will be changed in Adobe Town, which they're gonna make it smaller, and the remainder be managed for 259 to 536 horses. Um, population management tools will be used to keep horses at AML, and horses can be relocated from other HMAs to help maintain the genetic uh, genetic diversity. So, right. And they've done this in the past and with curly horses where they took four horses, four stallions, and two mares and transplanted them into another area. And, you know, those horses are thriving today. So one didn't look good this, this last fall and I haven't found him yet. So I'm not sure if he made the winner or not. But but they do, you know, transplant, you know, horses to keep up the diversity. Right, right. So, you know, you, you bring up a good point right there, and that is we haven't talked about this, but when you have an overpopulation of horses on, on these lands, um, it's not good for the horses. They they no. don't make it through the winter. They become old and they become crippled. And, uh yeah. Uh, and they starve to death. They they die of thirst. Uh, if you can get the right balance with the number of horses on the on the land size that it takes to support them, then yeah. things can work out well. But it's kind of gotten out of hand over the last several years. Yes, it has. And you know, our area, even when we're in a drought. You know, I'm I'm out there quite a bit, and I'll see that the water holes are, are, you know, less and everything. And you do see a difference in the feed and everything. But there's other states where it the drought is a big-time dilemma, and that's where those horses are starving to death and, and you know, dying of thirst and everything. And, and um, so it, it's, it, it's a dilemma for all 10 of these states, basically. 
But right mm. now, what's going on is going on in, in Wyoming. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's a whole lot to talk about. And, uh, and originally, we decided to do one show. And then I decided to do two shows because part two will be next week. And uh, and we actually have uh, a young lady that's going to be joining us where she and her husband both work on ranches. And we're going to get a different perspective on some things. But, uh, Pat, I'm beginning to think we may have to do a part three. We just can't <laughs> <laughs> we, we can't cover everything in a couple of hours but, with a problem that's gone on since 1971. But would, I'm kind of, I'm making a plea. It's, it's public land. You know, it, it, even if you live in Hawaii, this land here, you still have a say or, you know, you still can have an opinion on what's going on, even if you live in Hawaii. So that's, yeah. that's my push. And I want to give you the um, the web address um, to where you can view the the RMP and um, or you know resource management plan and the environmental impact study. So yeah. It's small small case letters. It's go. dot usa. dot gov backslash xd and then capital letters d as in dog. And V in, as in Victor, three dot, and that will get you right. It'll be the very top one, and then there's a little thing on the side for comments. And that's you know the BLM wants opinions. They want ideas. Um, one of the ideas, uh, you know, talking with people when I I made the post of the Rocket Miner article, um, one man wrote me and said, "What about?" doing part of the salt well where the curlies are as kind of like another viewing area or you know like a a park and that you know even that's kind of possible you know like what i talked about with the fencing in between the two major highways right so um so it, it is it's just you have to think about it but right now i think it's birth control um gathers to keep them at aml and then birth control after that um, the uh, advocacy groups, um, there's proactive advocacy groups that are doing a wonderful job, you know, with their programs, but their area is smaller. And so they have a lot of success with it, but they don't have the big open areas like what we have up here, you know, especially on the east side of Highway 430. So, um, so we are trying to get a, a darting um, program here and we do have a proactive group to where you know we want to be collaborating with the blm rock springs grazing and the um the more powerful advocacy groups and right. it's called wyoming wild horse incentive program um they've um, started with the stewart creek darting project and stewart creek is another hma that's in wyoming um there's foals and that's Friends of the Legacy, and they do darting up in, in Cody, up in the Pryor Mountains, and they've had success. Um, in Colorado, there's SWAT, Sandwash Advocate Team, and they're based out of Craig, Colorado. Um, and Friends of the Mustangs, and that's in Grand Junction, Colorado, and that's the Little Book Cliffs HMA. 
and they've all had success, but they are smaller areas. So my one area, like I talked about before, in between Highway 191 and Highway 430 would be an area that may work. And the same with White Mountain. These horses are more acclimated to people being around them because they're photographed very heavily. And a lot of people go out to, to see them. Right. Right. Well, I think we're going to have to we're going to have to have another discussion about this. So uh, okay. um, you and I are going to have to talk a little bit about doing another show and uh, continue our discussion. And we've just run out of time. Pat. There's okay. just too much to talk about okay. with all of this. I know so, it is. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So let me invite you to come back and we're going to have part two with this next week on Saddle Up America. And uh, Pat Doak, I don't know about Bobby Bell, but I couldn't keep up with all of these letters a while ago. (laughs) (laughs) Letters and numbers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, listen, thanks for being with us today. And and let's continue this discussion because I think it's an important discussion to have. And, again, you have to keep things balanced so we're taking care of the ranchers and we're taking care of the Mustangs at the same time. So thanks again for being with us today. Okay, thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Pat. Bobby Bell? Yes. That was a lot of information (laughs) to try to absorb in a short period of time. Well, it's a huge huge question. You know, I mean, it's just an ongoing huge question. And uh, the more that people can think about it and, and consider creative solutions, you know, um, the more we may be able to come up with satisfactory solutions. That's right. That is right. Well, there's a, there's a lot to talk about, a lot to think about. And again, part two should be very interesting next week. And, and it seems to me that we may have to do a part three. But uh, anyway, a good show today with uh with steve and chris for the campfire cafe love their music and what they're doing and then of course pat doak was absolutely informative and uh and i'm gonna have to look up all those letters so i make sure i've got all that right in my head <laughs> but uh, anyway uh-huh. we've got a brand new sh- yeah 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 the term checkerboard yeah. and what it meant yeah yeah But anyway, we've got a brand new show starting this Saturday. It's called The Living Room Sessions. And so be sure and tune in to that at noon Central Standard Time. You can go back and listen to the show again uh, as a podcast shortly after it's over by visiting our website at equestrianlegacy.net. And uh, again, we've just run out of time, Bobby. I mean, so much to talk about with all of these different things that are going on. Almost makes you forget about COVID nineteen. <laughs> there are other issues besides that virus out there. <laughs> there are, there are. But anyway, we want to close the show out today with a great song from our good friend Joni Harms, who will be our first guest on the Living Room Sessions this Saturday. It's her song called "Blue Montana Moon," and uh, we'll see you next week on the Campfire Cafe in Saddle of America, starting at noon Central Standard Time. And I had the chance to go on a big cattle roundup, and that was where I got the inspiration for this song called Blue Montana Moon.
running in the wind. Moonlit mountain breezes fill the air. Only he and I and the big Montana sky. Lord, how I wish I was. Stream that gently flowed, held each other tight, made the stars. Sweet moonshine whispered through the pines, and I was safe and warm inside his arms. Blue Montana moon. Watch over him tonight I'm coming home on that old midnight flight These big city lights Sure don't shine as bright as you Blue Montana I love what I do I've been gone from you For much too long It's the simple thing That still fill all my dreams Give me the strength To carry on Blue Montana Moon Watch over him tonight Cause I'm coming home on that old midnight flight These big city lights 